0: Hey, I'm Sarah, and welcome to Daily Dispatches, the audio project that helps me pay attention to what I'm paying attention to. Um, I just recorded something and listened back and could hear Olive snoring in the background. So, if you hear a little snore action, it's because this show is sponsored by a geriatric Boston Terrier named Olivia Daly. So, uh, please enjoy. Okay, this week is mostly about the Tennessee Folklore Society meeting. Um, It was in Etowah, Tennessee. And um, I'm going to spend the majority. I'm not going to worry about doing an audio clip for every single day because there's quite a few just from Saturday, November 4th. And I'll give you information on joining the Tennessee Folklore Society if you've got a wild hair to do so. We would love to have you. It's only 20 bucks a year. The first um, two dispatches are from a very no- noisy hotel room and Caroline Carrico's presentation on bocce in Memphis and the Memphis Italian Festival. And in her intro, which I didn't get on the clip, she talks a lot about, you know, this is the way you say an Italian word in Italy. This is the way you say it in Memphis. Um and really enjoyed her presentation and I'll check back in afterwards with some fiddle tunes from Greg Brooks. This is the sound of the interstate from inside my hotel room, which I had to book last minute because I accidentally booked a smoking room at another hotel. I sleep with earplugs, so. I did okay. And plus I've been sleepy since I was born. So, but it's pretty unbelievably loud. I think I'm like 75 feet from the interstate. I'm sure not. I'm sure there's like a rule, but this is wacky, but it's gonna be a good day at the Tennessee Folklore Society, and there's a coffee shop not too far away. It's 8.04 Chattanooga time, but 7.04 Nashville time on Saturday, November 4th.
1: Ball usually most of us, people who don't play all the time, we roll the ball on the ground to try to get it closer to the Polino. And sometimes, though, with kind of near the end of the frame where the Polino's just surrounded, by balls and you really can't get to it to get close. There's a thing called volo where you throw the ball in the air and it's usually kind of a backhanded thing. So it puts backspin on it. If you hit a ball just so near the polino, that ball will shoot out and your ball will stay right there. If you're trying to land your ball in the air, the one on the ball closest to the polino and get grab a point like that. And only the best players can do it or the most experienced. Or you can you can hit the Polino. That's yeah, I mean it's another strategy. You can hit hitting the Polino moves the target and that's an option too. So you get to see that kind of stuff when you watch these good guys come down to the end. Two totally different atmospheres, but it is both both the robots are robots, but it's a whole different level.
0: There were two different fiddle presentations at the folklore society meeting the first person presenting was greg brooks who was a lineman that worked for an electric company and he will talk about some of the injuries he sustained on the job and how that affects his fiddle playing today um and he was playing tunes by alan sisson um it's s-i-s-s-o-n but I think it's pronounced like E-N, for those who know. But anyway, um, I'll start with a little clip of him playing the Sally Brown jig, and then talking about his time as a lineman, and then a short clip of him talking about how his family came to know these songs from Mr. Sisson, and um, how he started playing as a young man. And this is Greg Brooks.
2: I even play. I, mean, uh, I took a fall out of a buggy truck, broke both my heels off. Worked for the power company, and uh, then I had a power pole break off with me, and I was up on it. Broke this, broke this wrist all the way around, broke my arm into and the and shoulder, and uh, I lost my turn radius. Mm. And my, I'm in a constant battle. My hands trying to pull my fiddle away from my chin all the time. Mm. So it's kind of difficult. But uh, anyway go down the road and something. Mm-hmm. Tommy Magnus was a fantastic middle player, too, and he learned how to do this stuff for Mr. Sisson. So it's all connected. It's all connected. What was the difference between their uh, ages? And- uh, that was a pretty good age gap, because Mr. Sisson, I think, was up in his 70s, isn't that correct, when he did those recordings there? And uh, I think Tommy, Tommy died in 74. But anyway, my father used to sell the portion and play with Tommy Magnus. And it's, I, I can't remember it. I was there, but I was so young I can't remember him doing that. But the reason I learned to play is because I started squeaking on that fiddle I was telling y'all about and my dad would say, that ain't the way Tommy played it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd bark and bark and bark, and I'd say, how's that, Dad? That ain't the way Tommy played it. <laughs> In the field of the day, that ain't the way Tommy played it. <laughs>
0: I just love to hear Greg's easy storytelling and I really enjoyed his playing. Um, Here's a little clip from Dr. Mark Jackson's presentation on poke salad. He is a professor at MTSU. He also helped me do an independent study at one of the times in my life. I was so stressed out. I was teaching full time, trying to overload classes at grad school so I could um, complete it early. So I was like, had a full teaching load plus grad school classes so i was reading all these folklore books that my friend jen helped me pick out and uh dr jackson le- kind of led an independent study on an oral history i did about my great aunt who worked in the textile mills in galax virginia um but anyway he's great and the presentation was great so enjoy i grew keep you hopefully just about
3: work comes up along fence rows and open pastures. At the edges of fields and long ditches, it even flourishes in swampy woods. It appears in abundance throughout the south and midwest, but you can also find it uh, along the east coast in great quantities. Photolac Americana, sorry for the Latin, mm-hmm. can grow to the height of uh, eight to 10 feet with stems that run from uh, green to red to purple as the plant matures throughout the spring and summer. Could have a second? There you go. The berries on pokeweed also start green and transition to white, to red, to finally a deep, deep purple. Mockingbirds and cardinals in particular are going on the raw mature berries in the late spring and throughout the summer, along with the raccoons and possums. Each winter, the pokeweed dies back to its roots in most places, but comes back in the spring and may even live several decades if left undisturbed. My father would sometimes say that pokeweed leaves that cooked right were larp and good, which is a regional term for delicious. <laughs> but he also told my sister and I to stay away from the inviting dark purple berries as they could kill us. That's right, pokeweed is poisonous and not just the berries. The plant can kill domesticated animals such as dogs and sheep and cows and pig, which is why some uh, agricultural agencies have uh, advocated for its eradication. And it can also kill people, especially if they eat the root of the poke weed, although all parts of the plants carry a danger for ingested raw. Eating small amounts of the plant, if undercooked, can cause severe vomiting, cramping, and diarrhea. As the saying goes, it will clean you out at both ends. <laughs> Sometimes death by respiratory paralysis occurs, especially if children, older people, or somebody with pre-existing conditions ingest parts of the raw poke weed. So here's what many may ask after discovering the poisonous truth of the pokeweed. Why pick a plant that can kill you to be part of any food waste? One reason is that pokeweed is harvested and used as a food source. It sprouts and grows to harvest in size earlier than other greens. Set in as kind of an only choice in the spring. It also contains vitamins A, B1, B2, B6, C, K, magnesium, calcium, iron, and other minerals thus its early arrival has nutritional benefits that would ward off anemia and pellagra. Um, Both potential results of limited winter diets of poor some others that often center on beans and grits and pork and cornbread and other limited nutritional staples no matter how delicious. (laughs) The plant is also free to anyone who's willing to pick it in the spring and Often the food the poke salad made from the plant was essential to poor and working class families. As Tony Joe Watt puts in his song, Poke Salad Annie, why does she eat so much? Cause that's about all they had.
0: I didn't know that poke salad was full of all those vitamins. I thought it was mainly like a diuretic um, for after eating lots of lard and all kinds of hearty food all winter. I enjoyed that presentation. The Tennessee Arts Commission also presented about the mini grants, and the artist apprenticeship program um, that they have built, and it was wonderful. Deadlines are typically, I believe, in November, so hopefully we'll revisit. I'll revisit that on another day when it's um, application season. I got a grant from them for auto harp studying auto harp, and it was really wonderful. And they will pay you and your mentor to meet together and pass on the tradition. It's really, really special. And feel free to send me an email if you want more info. Or just look them up on the Tennessee Arts Commission. Um, All right, here's one more very short Joseph DeCosimo, Luke Richardson clip because i had one on last week i saw them play on friday night and then uh the Cosimo was presenting at the at the um society meeting on saturday um but they played uh really old tunes and played through chronologically so you could see the differences and style it was all pretty much from that region or pretty close um and they played a, a tune by Manco Sneed, who was a Cherokee fiddler. And um, I looked him up just now and saw this interesting thing. Um, his dad was Cherokee. Wait, hang on. Uh, one of Western North Carolina's legendary old-time fillers, Manco Sneed, was born in Jackson County. Manco's father, John Sneed, was half Cherokee and a renowned local fiddler known for his aerobatic, aerobatic trick playing. His brothers were musicians or dancers, but Manco excelled at the fiddle. As a young boy, he was exposed to traditional mountain music through community dances and other gatherings. His greatest influence was J.D. Diedrich Harris from Flag Pond, Tennessee. Then his family moved. They did not live in the Cherokee community, but they moved to the tribal lands of Aquala Boundary when he was a teenager, and so he didn't meet a lot of other mountain musicians. And apparently Blanton Owen, who interviewed and researched him, Sneed in the 70s, theorized but it was because of that comparative musical isolation that Snead developed his extremely intricate solo style of fiddling. Um, so here a little bit of that. And that thus concludes um, footage of the Tennessee Fol- Folklore Society for this year. Okay, this is your post-daylight savings bird song report. Everybody's popping off in the bamboo. Notably weirded out by the change. Also more frequent visitors, I believe, coming through. Although this doesn't look like a migration. Just sounds like the neighbors Tuesday, November 7th It's November 7th I am reading a little zine volume I got at an antique store from Centerville, Tennessee called the Blue Buck Banner and I believe that that is the name of the farm that this person Webb Dykus lived on uh Okay, the dedication is to my mother, Belva Prince Hillsman, who moved to this farm on Blue Buck Creek in 1910 and whose life and heart have been intensely woven into the tapestry of these acres as my own. Um, I've just read the first couple pages and I want to share them with you. I will likely continue reading through it um, through the winter. The first entry is about, um, it's about the beginning of the year. I know that we're not in January, but it is a Happy New Year entry. But most of the memory centers on something else. Um, Webb writes, January is one of our gray months of the year. So, So green meadows, cedar and pine are spirit lifters. The yard, for the most part, stays green all winter. Green, nature's healing color of hope. I'm always planning for more green in our surroundings. I think of a day in the golden Indian summer when I sat in the parked car waiting for Jimmy to make a final purchase at a nearby store. I saw, in the seemingly still atmosphere, a milkweed seed winging its way toward a car parked in front of me. In a slow, accidental manner, the seed dipped down to lie momentarily on the hood of the automobile. Barely pausing, it slipped across the metal surface then launched into space again. I thought it would fall to the pavement and thus end its chance of continuing life, but no. On an undetectable draft of air, the seed lifted upward and like a mind-directed entity spiraled off toward the open area of the parking lot. I watched it go, blessing it, for it seemed headed in the right direction. Not too far distance, the hard top ended, and there it might find lodgment. And, okay, lodgment is not the best word here. And in due time, rooted. Okay, also not the best conjugation of that form, but okay. I felt prayerful hope for that single seed to come to rest on sweet, nourishing earth better. Even then, it would face great odds for survival. Nature seeds most of her plants profligately, yet, out of the extravagance, only a few seeds finally are successfully planted, sprouted, rooted. Today, cold, wet, and gray, That autumn seed so full of life potential comes to mind, and I wish I knew where it found its journey's end. I trust the life germ within it is expanding. And this poem, Valley Night. It is late. The shadow of the hills darkens the valley. The cattle move down from the slopes, to the pasture bars the blue of the coming night is a veil for the distance and high in the west hang the lanterns of two pale stars the neighboring chimneys issue strong gusts of wood smoke somebody is kindling warmth toward the cold of night now a song of my heart shines a greeting across the fieldscape and sudden and welcoming gleam of an early light that's all tonight from the Blue Buck Gazette, Banner, excuse me, by Webb Dykus. We've done it again, ladies and gentlemen. We made it through another week. I hope you enjoyed this little field trip to the Folklore Society meeting. Um, if you would like to join, please do. Um, just look on the website, which I'm going to look up right now. Um. And please take time to investigate or ask me about any of the things that you are interested in. Tennessee Folklore Society is just TennesseeFolklore.org. Lots of stuff is happening, so it's a great time to come on board. Um, I hope you had a good week. And I hope you send a dispatch to someone you love. And we'll see you back again next week. Bye!